All right. That'll get you started, won't it? Okay. So my subject title is, Who Are You? Just in case you didn't get it. I'm going to tell you a story. I was about 10 years old. We'd gone to the beach. Uh, we lived in Durban, South Africa. The beaches are beautiful, warm Indian Ocean. Everybody loves to do the ocean. And we were down there with the whole family, my father, uncles, aunts. And uh, they were swimming in, you know, maybe 20 yards out when they got caught in a riptide. Now, a riptide is basically a river in the ocean. And it usually comes in during the low tide. And as the tide increases, so the river gets stronger and stronger. And what it normally does is it comes into the land by the shore, and then it goes back out. Well, when this ocean of water is moving, it creates a hole in the ground. It literally washes the soil away. And all the surfers know exactly what I'm talking about because the surfers use the riptide to go out. That's what they jump in with their board, and they paddle with the riptide, and takes them out. They're not afraid to be all the way out. But if you are thinking, I'm only 20 yards from the shore, I can get to it, and suddenly your feet are washed out from underneath you, and you can't stand, and then you try and get to the bank, and literally the bank is only a few yards away, and you can't get to it because you're actually caught in a river in the ocean, and you're not aware of what's going on. Well, what happened is my father, my Uncle Vic, my brother Theo, were all caught in this riptide, um, and they weren't far from the shore. I mean, literally from here to the back of the church, and they were struggling to get there, and um, so they went in also to help Theo. They thought he was, he was caught. He was only about 12 years old, and uh, he eventually got in, but my dad and my uncle nearly drowned. You can drown if you don't know how to deal with it. And they were swimming against the current, which is deadly. You can't do it. And they were swimming against the current. My, eventually, my dad, my uncle Vic, got out, lay on the shore, panting and and uh, they were avid surfers, well, swimmers and that kind of stuff, gone to the beach their whole life. That was the last day they ever put their foot in the ocean. They swore from that day they would never go back in the ocean, and they never did. Wow. They were so afraid of what had happened. Wow. I had been caught, I've been caught in the riptide myself uh, in my teens, but I had learned how to deal with it. If you're a surfer, if you uh, use fins or something, you know how to deal with it. You don't swim against the current, you actually swim sideways. And if you're from sideways, you'll get right out of it, and then the breakers won't land on your head like they do in the riptide. They keep landing on your head. And then you can come down. If you go far enough out, you can actually catch the riptide in. Um, but you also have to you know, be aware of it and be mature about what you're dealing with. So I use that analogy to say this, that we here uh, in America and as Christians are in a social, legal and spiritual riptide right now. We have been caught in it. And unless we act maturely, listen carefully, millions are going to drown. They're going to drown socially. They're going to drown legally. They're going to drown spiritually. We are literally one trumpet sound away from seeing Jesus face to face and enjoying the marriage supper of the Lamb. But the same trumpet will leave people to face the tyranny of the Antichrist and beast system. The trumpet will separate them. That's all it's going to take. We are one breath away from eternity. And, you know, I was thinking about when I went to visit our dear friend Dennis. This is the 10th heart attack he's had, the first triple bypass. He's never had a bypass before. He was on total life support. Nothing in his body was working. Total life support. And I was reminded of when my mom died, and I got this thought, we are one heartbeat away from eternity. Just one heartbeat. That's all it takes, just one heartbeat. From a place of no return, you can't get away from it. You see, the Bible tells us that if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that you have eternal life now. Many people wrongly think that they're going to get eternal life when they go to heaven. Listen carefully to me. If you do not have eternal life on the earth, you're not going to go to heaven. It's eternal life that gets you to heaven. And that eternal life is in believing that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And He is the Savior of all. So we are one breath away 
from total bliss or total regret. And I say regret because all of us have regretted decisions that we have made. And we can't go back in time and fix them. We wish we could fix them, do something about it. But as Jackie says, we have today and we have tomorrow. So let's live for today and live for tomorrow and forget about the regrets because you can't change them. But the regret of rejecting Jesus Christ will be with you for eternity. There is no tomorrow and there is no today. Because if you've gone into eternity without Jesus, there is no escape, there's no return, and you live with regret forever. And what's more, during that time, your memory stays intact. Jesus said, the worm does not die. Your memory stays intact. Which means you will remember every sermon you ever heard. You'll remember every person who ever witnessed to you. You'll remember every TV show that spoke about Jesus. That will be your regret, that you never believed on Jesus with all your heart. And that's the reason you are where you are. Some years ago, I was in the gym, and I was working out. I used to spend about an hour working out. I got really big, but then I didn't pay my installments, so they took my muscles back. And since then, I've gone into the furniture moving business. My, che- my chest has slipped into my drawers. Anyway, <laughs> can only go south from here, huh? There was a lady. She was very fit. When I walked in, she was skipping. And she was in really good shape. And she was skipping. And I'm working out, I'm working out, working out. I'm leaving an hour later. She's still skipping. So this is too much for me to bear. And if you know me, I talk to everybody. Get in the elevator, I talk to everybody. I always talk to people. I love talking to people. So I've got to talk to this lady. I said, you got to, I got to, I don't stop, but please tell me, why are you skipping so hard? And she answered me with these few words. For me, she says, I want to live. It reminds me of the people that I pass on my way to church on Sundays that are running. And I go, you're just focusing on your body. You're focusing on the physical. You're missing the whole point of life. If you are running, doing athletic sports to get you healthy on a Sunday, you have no idea of eternal life or Jesus Christ. None. So... Are we willing to make tough choices? I'm going to challenge you this morning. A sign of maturity is choosing to do what is right. In other words, choosing to do something righteous, right in God's sight, rather than choosing to do what we desire. If we live purely by our desires, purely by what we like, purely by what we want to do, think about that. That is what got you where you are today. If you didn't live for what was righteous and living for what God wanted. So, I have a couple of questions. Should we do, should we do something just because I can? Just because I can? The answer is no. You see, let me ask you, what is the legal age to drive? 16. But what happens if I'm 15 and I can drive? I know how to drive. Should I drive? Because it's illegal. It's against state policy. Okay? So am I obligated to obey the state laws? Yeah. Okay. So what is the legal age to have sex? Is there still one? Shout it out loud. All of you have children, no? 18. 18. Okay. So, 18. So then, if I'm 19, then it's okay to have sex. Because I've passed the legal age. So just because the government says it's legal, 
for two men to marry or for two women to marry, does that mean that the Christian community have to accept that and agree with it? So you don't always agree with the state then. So what are you telling me? Which one is it? Do we agree or don't we agree? So what is God's requirements to have sex? You know it goes further than that. Exactly. I'm hearing it coming out now. God's requirement is you have to be married and you have to be married to the opposite sex. Biologically. Male, biological, female, biological. That's what God's plans are. So, just because I have the anatomy and the biological ability to have sex, should I do it after the age of 18? No, just because I can. But what happens if it's socially acceptable? What happens if it's okay to have sex outside of marriage? And if it's okay to even have sex with the biologically same gender, this is not only acceptable, it's legal. And it's encouraged. In fact, it's a taught at school to children in middle school. And they have parades down the street with flags promoting this lifestyle, heralding it. And calling it pride. Be proud of it. Now, is that something we should be doing? Because the state promotes it. State says, okay. Well, now, what happens if the state forces you to disobey God? Who are you? If the state forces you to disobey the Word of God, what happens if the state forces you and says you may not attend church? What happens if the state says you may not worship? Like in Russia and China, or during time of COVID. Do you obey the state or not? What happens if the state demands that you have an experimental drug injected into your body? And if you disobey, it's a crime. You see, you all think this, but nobody says it. Maybe in the privacy of your own home. But I'm shouting it out from the mountaintop and to everybody who will listen on the internet. Listen to me. What governs our actions? Does the state govern it? Does our social group govern it? Does, does your age, does your physical abilities govern your actions? Do your fleshly desires govern your... Or does the Spirit of God, in line with the Word of God, govern your actions? You see, you might want to write this down. The consequences are life or death. See, this is not a sermon that you'll go back and go, oh, that was a good sermon. If this doesn't change your life, if this doesn't cut to the heart, it's worthless. Romans 8.17 says, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. So my question is, what are these sufferings that we must share in? In order to share in His glory. Notice we have to. If you want to share in His glory, we have to share in His sufferings. There's no choice. You say, well, you know, I signed up for Christianity to have a bed of roses and to sail down the, the warm river on a, on a nice tube on my father's yacht to miss hell and go to heaven. Nice, but not true. What is it we're going to... It's not sickness. It's not poverty. We know Jesus paid for those things. Well, what is it? I'll tell you what it is. It's persecution for standing up for Jesus. 
First, uh, 2 Timothy 3.12 said, Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. How many of you want to live a godly life? Can I see your hand? How many want to live a godly life? Now, put the other hand up and say, I'm going to suffer persecution. You need, a, you need to brace yourself. You need to brace yourself. It's coming at you like a tsunami. And if you're not aware of it, then I'm going to make you aware of it today. What is, we saying about it, what is this cross of Jesus that we are asked to carry? I may have written this down. If I haven't written this down, I'm going to read it to you. It's association and identification with Jesus when it means to go against the tide. That is the cross. It's association and identification with Jesus when it means to go against the tide. Well, why would the Holy Spirit prompt me to draw our attention to this right now. Why would he be doing that? Listen to me very, very carefully. Because the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is about to face worldwide persecution that will be considered acceptable and in line with the social majority. And then we are going to choose, we're going to have to choose whether we'll stand or not stand. The sad news is many will not stand. I want to play you a video. It lights down. I want to play you a video. Judge Judy is one of my favorite people to listen to on Fox. I just love her openers. I wish I could preach like she does an opener. I want you to listen as she interviews a pastor from Canada. In Canada has been taken over by communism, socialism, fascistic hybrid. Uh, we are being arrested. We're being threatened. Today, I learned that I received another charge. Even though I'm touring in the United States, the Crown prosecutors came with another charge. I was sentenced with my brother two days ago. We have been found guilty for inciting people to come to church. My <sighs> brother is facing two years jail time. I am facing four years jail time for inciting people okay. to come to church. Pat, I, I have to stop you there. What is inciting people to come to church? That is a crime in Canada? Or is that something during their COVID? Uh, what, what is the rationale behind that? Yes, the, we have been called the super spreaders. We have been called the lawbreakers, the troublemakers, uh, the deniers of the COVID uh, pandemic. Uh, we are uh, the super spreaders that are uh, threatening the lives of people because we dare to come to the church and invite others to come to the church. I received 30 citations, millions of dollars worth of fines uh, because I would not stop congregating. I will not uh, shut down my church, especially now when so many are depressed. Sure. And we have a record suicide Absolutely. among the children. This should be a huge warning to you. We have the record, historical record, if it comes to suicide among the children. But aren't you holding services outside? We are holding services indoors and outdoors, and we have been ticketed uh, without mercy for both. Actually, majority of my tickets and charges are not for indoor gatherings. It's for outdoor gatherings. I got only a few for indoor. I have been arrested for inviting people to come to church and for officiating a church service, even though I took the church outside and uh, they demanded to inspect the facility. They demanded to come in the middle of the church service, even though Criminal Code of Canada is preventing them on three accounts, Section 176, okay. from uh, doing it, but they Pastor, don't care about the laws. On Pastor, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but is this happening to, to you, or are the other church leaders in Canada facing the same prosecution? Yes, everyone that dares to oppose them. So Pastor Tobias Thyssen in Manitoba is the first Canadian pastor in hiding for over a month, he's hiding with his family because he dared to open a church oh. in the province of Manitoba. Uh, the Coates, the church outside of Edmonton, was fenced by authorities, three fences, and oh, their, right. their church building was confiscated. Pastor Tim, you mentioned him, his locks in the church were uh, uh, changed. He was prevented from uh, organizing a church gathering inside, so he took it outside. They hired a holly helicopter and I find him out with his congregation this the next day in front of his 
Eight children was arrested. Yes, Very frightening. Very frightening. Pastor Palowski. Sorry, Judge Jean, not Jeannie, uh, not Judy. So he mentioned the family there that uh, they had a helicopter and they arrested the family. I want to show you very briefly that arrest that took place as they call the, the sheriffs and all the, the policemen arrive uh, to arrest this man in front of his family. Can we show that? Just a few seconds. It's incredible. It's incredible. You know, they can, they, can, they can have their gathering in the Sky Palace and yet the pastor who gathers for church outside is being arrested. Because the rules certainly don't apply to everyone equally, and they're not enforced to everyone equally. Like, why is it only, why is it pastors that keep getting arrested for this? And, and, if, and if you have parents who, who go to church or you understand that, that our Lord Jesus Christ actually commands us to gather and to meet. And he also and, told us and, wherever two or three are gathered, there he is in the midst of us. So we don't need a huge gathering. Well, if you want to talk about that but passage we can, we can, Matthew No, 18. we're not talking about that. We're, right now, we're just doing our job, okay? So, and if you hadn't basically broken the order or the rules that are set out right now, I wouldn't be here. Right? Do I want to be here? No. Right? Yes. And when, and when laws are unjust, then it's incumbent upon those who are righteous we, we to stand we, up and say no. So it's not a law, it's an order, or it's a ruling, and if you break it, you're a criminal. And uh, they throw the Bible at you as well, quote the Bible against you. And remember, uh, you can take the lights up, what uh, he said is, uh, I'm just doing my job. I'm just doing my job, and my job is to arrest you as a Christian. Just doing my job. Do I want to arrest Christians? No. Do I want to arrest pastors? No. But I'm just doing my job. See, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 9, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my sake or for me. He didn't say by some. He didn't say just in Canada, Russia, or China. He said by all nations, which would mean America as well. I want to show you another video. Now, you're in for a shock. It gets worse because the, the attack on churches are getting worse. And I actually prophesied this last year during the Black Lives Matter protests when they're burning down buildings. I said, this is coming next. Watch it. Well, it's not getting a lot of attention in this country because we don't give Canada any attention at all. But all of a sudden, Canada looks a lot like the Soviet Union. Seem like we're exaggerating a little bit? Well, they're burning Catholic and Anglican churches in recent days. Leftist groups are. But Canada's leaders aren't condemning the burning of churches. No, they're endorsing the burning of churches. The head of the British Columbia Civil Liberties Association, a monster called Harsha Walia, tweeted this, quote, burn it all down. Then a close confidant of the Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau, a man called Gerald Butts, called the arson, and we're quoting now, understandable. A woman called Heidi Matthews, meanwhile, of Harvard Law School, described the attacks as, quote, the right of resistance to systemic injustice, burning churches. Now, this is not the Spanish Civil War. This is now in Canada and not just churches. Riders just tore down the statue of Queen Victoria in Winnipeg on Canada Day. No pride in genocide. No pride in genocide. Now, we'd love to go inside Canada tonight, but we can't get there. It's like 1985 Albania. It's a closed country. So instead, we're speaking by satellite tonight to Ezra Levant with Rebel Media within Canada. He joins us now. Ezra, thanks so much for doing the show. What is going on in Canada? Serious. I mean, this is, it's hard to believe what's happening in Canada. What is this? Well, I'm reluctant to use the word Kristallnacht because uh, we're not there yet. That was the night of the broken glass in pre-Holocaust Germany where they smashed and burned and killed Jewish synagogues. It was a precursor to the Holocaust. Obviously, we are not that far gone yet. But what do you call it when literally dozens of churches are being systematically vandalized, torched? There was one fire in the B.C. interior that wiped out a whole village of 250 people, two people dead, and it is 
not yet determined who caused it, but it was in an area where other churches have been torched. So it may actually have its first victims. The crazy thing is this is so explicitly an anti-church hate crime wave, and yet Justin Trudeau, who is normally the first and the wokest, waited a week before saying anything, and he literally said, that's not the way to go. That was as tough as he got. He introduced an anti-hate crimes bill in Parliament that's targeting mean tweets and Facebook posts, but literally you have church after church being torched by Antifa-style terrorists, and he's almost silent on the matter, and his right-hand man finds it understandable. I think these are dark days for religious freedom in Canada. Yeah, when they're burning churches and the head of the B.C. Civil Rights Commission says, burn it all down? Let's have the lights up. So Canada is a socialistic country where the government controls everything. All right, so you have no voice. People can't really come against what the government is doing. And uh, the Marxist uh, ideology is being taught in our universities by left-wing professors who are socialists and uh, atheists. And so our young people are coming up with this Marxist idea. They've just changed the name, um, but they're teaching this doctrine in uh, our universities. And the doctrine is to hate the United States of America. It is to hate our flag. Um, I was appalled to see one of the Olympic uh, choices, uh, throw, uh, hammer throw girls, when they played the anthem, she turned her back on the flag and the anthem. And my idea, my thinking is, why would you wanting to represent a country that you hate? Seriously, you know, I chose America. I could have gone anywhere. But I chose America and God prompted me to come here. I love this country. And my thought is, if you don't like this country, if you don't love this country, leave. Go somewhere else. All right, go somewhere else. I still believe America is the greatest country in all the world. And if you want to erase, erase the history of America um, and try and teach people to do, you know, uh, something else, then uh, I'm not in agreement with you. But this is coming to America. You don't think it's coming to America? It's coming to America. It is undoubtedly coming to America. How many church shootings have there been? How many synagogue shootings have there been? These are hate crimes against religious people. Right here in Poway in the synagogue. This is something that's on our doorstep. It's not something that's coming to America. It's already here in America. What about St. John's Church in D.C., Washington, D.C., that got burned and vandalized? Remember June of last year? It's already happening. Now, before we get threatened with deny Jesus or die, which is probably going to come, we're going to face the threat of this. If you bring your religion and Jesus into the workplace, you will lose your job. You will be threatened with your employment. You will be canceled by the cancel culture if you put it up uh, just now on Facebook, tweet, uh, Twitter, or some of those other social media. You're going to face it. As what? Social dissident. You're going to be classified as a rebel and someone who needs to be silenced. Your point of view is not to be heard. You're going to be treated as a religious fanatic and ridiculed for your faith. So my question is, are you going to be a witness or a wimp? Who are you? Jesus said that if you're ashamed of me in this wicked and adulterous generation, I will be ashamed of you when I come in the glory of my Father and the angels. Jesus said we don't have an opportunity to be ashamed. If we are ashamed, he will be ashamed. Now, you see, being ashamed doesn't mean, you know, uh, that you, you get challenged and you, and you speak up. Being ashamed is just taking a neutral position where you don't speak up when you should have spoken up. When the, the conversation that you're part of goes against Jesus, against the church, Against the Bible, and you don't speak up, you take a neutral position, that is being ashamed. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 30, Whoever is not with me is against me, 
And whoever does not gather with me does what? Scatters. You see, there's no neutral ground. Either we are a light burning for Jesus or we are hiding our light. Jesus says those who are not gathering are scattering. So what I'm saying is this. Christians who are not inviting people to church, inviting people to Jesus, inciting people to come to church, are scattering. Jesus said, if you're not for me, you're against me. If you're not gathering, you're scattering. There's no middle ground. There's no ground that says, well, I'm just a Christian, and, you know, I'm just going to leave the world alone. I'm just going to do my own little thing. I'm not going to interfere with anybody else. Don't let anybody interfere with me. You're neutral. You're ashamed. Jesus will be ashamed of you. If Jesus is ashamed of you, you ain't going in the rapture. Go to Bible school and find out who's going in the rapture and who's not. You might be, you might be shocked. Everybody says, I'm a Christian. I'm going in the rapture. Mm-hmm. See, the question is this. Not are you willing to die for Jesus. The question is, are you willing to live for him? People say, well, are you willing to die for Jesus? Oh, yes, I'm willing to die. That's not the question. The question, are you willing to live for him now in this society, at school, at college, at work? Are you willing to live for Jesus? Who are you? You know the story of the paralytic guy that was let down through the roof and four buddies were carrying him and they couldn't get him inside because it was so crowded. And Jesus sees the scene coming down and Jesus says, wow, you guys with such great faith, such great faith. And he says to the man, you're, you're healed. Remember that? So these four guys, I want to say this, the four guys are lifting this man up. And I'd like to ask you this question. Are you a lifter or a leaner? Are you lifting people or leaning on people? Hmm. How much effort are you making to gather people to Jesus and the church? Remember, these four guys did whatever it took to get their friend to Jesus, to the church. Did whatever it took. Are we doing whatever it takes to get the people in our circle that we run with to the church, and to Jesus. Remember this. Your faith is revealed to God by the effort you make to get others to church and Jesus. Jesus, seeing their faith, said be healed. He saw their faith by the action they were taking to get that man to Jesus. God is waiting to see your faith by what you're doing to get people to the church and to Jesus. And if you're not trying, according to God, you have no faith. Who are you? Are you a leaner or a lifter? See, if you're lifting people, you're encouraging them. Amen? You're praying for them. You're not leaning on them. Others are leaning on you. So here's the question, and this is what Jesus was asking. Are you helping, is your life helping or hindering the gospel? Jesus said, if you're not gathering, you're scattering. If you're gathering, you're helping. If you're scattering, you're hindering the gospel. Are you gathering or you're scattering? Who are you? I would like to introduce some lifters to you today that you may not know, because you don't, don't every, know everybody in the church. I'd like Frank and Maggie to stand. Margie, thank you. Uh, Sierra's not here, but Mike, would you stand as well? And Mary, down the front, would you stand? This is the team that cleans the church, washes the toilets, washes the floor, cleans the kitchen. Sierra is six months pregnant. She's not well today, and that's why she's not here. Six months pregnant, still cleaning the church, washing the floors, cleaning the toilets. These people are lifters. And we're going to have to replace Ciara because she is totally pregnant. Thank you, guys. We so... We so totally. That, that baby is here. 
I'd like the children's church workers that are in this room today, would you stand? If you work in children's church, would you stand? Anybody who works in children's church, go ahead and stand. Remain standing. Remain standing. I want you to see how few they are. And you notice that Mike is standing. This is the second time. Not only does he clean the church with his wife, but he also works in children's church. These are lifters, not leaners. Go ahead. Sit. Um, Drea's gone. Oh, there she is. Drea, go ahead and stand. You may not know this, but if you've watched her for just one service, you know she's not normal. <laughs> you know that there is a supernatural anointing upon an ability. She is talented and anointed. And her talent, and I've known her since she was a little girl, her talent has taken her into the professional world of singing. It's what she does for a living. She sings with the band. All these people that you see playing in the band, each week you wonder, how come we have different people each week? It's because Drea knows these people, and most of them play in her band that she does gigs with, L.A., all over the place, during the week, and so on and so forth. And if her gig finishes on Saturday night at 2 o'clock in the morning, you've never seen her miss a Sunday. She makes it here because she's a lifter, not a leaner. Would you give her a round of applause? You know the story of the Good Samaritan? I won't bore you with the details, but you know this guy goes down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he gets beaten up and robbed by thieves and he's left on the road bleeding and dying. And a priest comes walking down the road, sees him and crosses over to the other side. And that uh, Levite is also part of the priest group. He comes walking down the road. He sees him. He crosses over. And then a Samaritan comes, not a Jewish person, a Samaritan comes. And I'll pick the story up in Luke 10 and verse 33. A Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Every say took pity. And we went to him and he banged his wounds and pouring on wine and oil. Then he put the man on his own donkey and he took him to the inn and he took care of him. Say took care of him. The next day, say the next day. He took out two silver coins. Say, two silver coins. And he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse. Say, reimburse. reimburse. For I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have had. In this story, I see two people, two different kinds, categories of people. I see lovers and leavers. Lovers and leavers. Do you leave a job that you see for somebody else to do? You're a lever. You see, the priest and the Levite were both levers. The Samaritan was a lover. What do you have to do to be a lover? Three things according to this story that Jesus told us. The first one was the man took pity on him. So you have to care compassionately. Number one, to be a lover, you have to care compassionately. Number two, he stopped, he took care of the man, put him in his own donkey, took him to the inn, stayed with him that day, threw the night kept for him, and the next day before he left, which means he gave him time. To be a lover takes time. To clean the church takes time. Oh, by the way, i just seen Jim here. I haven't seen Brother Jim. Go ahead and stand. Brother Jim, you know who he is? And forgive me for not mentioning him. I, I, he's such a, such a dolling, such a humble man. He's the man who cleans the parking lot every Saturday so we can have a clean park. He's out there with his blower. He's even had the police called on him for doing that. <laughs> Give him a round of applause. There's a lifter for you. So you're a, a, care, a compassionate carer, you're a, you take time, and thirdly, you're a generous giver. He took two silver coins, gave it to the innkeeper. He didn't know this man, took care of him out of his own pocket, his own expense, and then said, whatever he needs, pay for it. Take care of it. When I come back, I will recompense you. I will pay you back 
all the expenses that this man had. That's what it means to be a lover. You have to be a generous giver. John 13, 35, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, in that you love one another. The Samaritan was a stranger. The, the, the injured man was a stranger to the Samaritan. If he did that to a stranger, what should we be doing to our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ who are our family that we know? Yeah? If he could do that for a stranger. Now, Jesus also said in Luke 9, 62, he said, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back to the things behind is fit for the kingdom of God. What is that? That's a lever. It's another kind of a lever. It's not somebody who sees a problem and walks away from it. It's a person who starts out and then doesn't complete it. He puts his hand to the plow and then doesn't complete it. So this person walks with Jesus until it becomes inconvenient. Walks with Jesus until it becomes too difficult in their own mind to do. So they're an excited starter, but they never finish. The lever is a quitter. The lever is unfaithful. The lever is uncommitted. The lever is undependable. They start serving the Lord and then find a reason not to continue. Are you a lover or a lever? Would you say, I'm a lover, not a lever? Would you say that? Say it one more time. I'm a lover, not a lever. Say, I'm a lifter, not a leaner. There was a time, um, and the problem hasn't changed, but I went to seek God on this because there was such a turnaround in the congregation back in South Africa. We had so many people coming and going, and we're having like 50 salvations every Sunday, and we're having only a few come back. So we had like 7,500 salvations in a nine-year period. It's a huge amount of salvations. But the congregation side was only about 800 people, and uh, we actually had 1,200 in our life groups, which is interesting. Uh, but nevertheless, I went away to pray and to seek God about this. I said, Lord, you've got to help me understand why is there such a revolving door in the church? How comes that people come for a while and they go, they love us, they tell us they love us, and then they go? And how come other people respond to salvation? They, they're like all happy that they got saved and they come for a week or two and, don't go, and then, some of them don't even come back at all. So I went and I was fasting and praying, seeking God on this, and the Lord led me to read a scripture. Uh, found in Mark chapter 4. So I'm going to read the scripture and then I'll explain what God said to me. In verse 14 he said, The sower sows the word, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately. Say immediately. Immediately. And takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. So the word did get into the heart, but Satan came and stole that word immediately, even before the service was over. Immediately. You see, people can get offended and get up and walk out the, out the service, right in the middle of service. They get, get offended the first five minutes. Well, imagine if you're on an operating table and you're three minutes into the operation, you jump up and you say, this is too painful, I'm leaving. <laughs> or you've got open heart surgery going on, you're tightly lying there open, you say, no, I don't think I, you know what you're doing, I'm leaving. You've got to give the surgeon opportunity to sew you up. Finish the job, at least at least have sufficient respect to hear the whole thing before you judge. Because, you know, if you judge that quickly, it means you're staying with the thought that you've got. Satan came immediately, steals the the word in their hearts. Verse 16, these likewise are the ones who are uh, thrown on stony ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with gladness. Immediately they are so happy to hear this word of God. But they have no root in themselves, so they endure only for a time. And then what? Afterwards when tribulation, and get this, persecution. Persecution. For the word's sake, they immediately stumble. 25% of all Christians will stumble when persecution hits them. One out of four. One out of four. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They're the ones who hear the word, and the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and desires of other things entering in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Another 25% will become unfruitful because the cares of the world, desires for other things. What is the desire for other things? 
It could be the desire for anything. Any desire that surpasses the desire to attend church, to serve God, is going to choke you eventually. And now I'm speaking to somebody who's listening to me online. You're allowing the cares of the world to get to you. You're allowing other things, other desires to get to you. And that's why you're not in church. That's why you're not serving God. Listen carefully to me, because this is a warning from the Spirit of God. You're about to be choked, and the Word of God that's in you is about to become unfruitful. Then the group, these are the ones sown on good ground, who hear the Word, accept it, bear fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. Do you understand there are four different types of soil spoken about here? There's the hard pan pathway, there's the rocky soil, there's the thorny soil, and then there's the good soil, four different types of soil. Different types of soil, but the identical seed. The seed of the Word of God being sown today is the good seed of the Word being sown today, but the hearts are four different kinds of hearts. It's not the seed that's in trouble, it's the heart that's in trouble. And listen carefully. 75% of those who hear the Word being preached become unfruitful or fall away. And that's what the Holy Spirit told me when I was fasting and praying. I was so depressed because I was preaching my heart out, believing God for growth. And He told me categorically that even when He preached, they left Him. And He said, if they leave me when I preach, they will leave you. So just keep sowing the seed, just keep sowing the word into the soil, and we trust God that you are good ground. Say, I'm good ground. I'm good ground. So 75% of the people who heard the word fell away and were non-producers. Don't forget this. Just listen to this. The first 25% heard it, and before they got into their car, Satan had stolen the word from them. It's that quick. The next 25% got born again. They got saved. They came rushing back to church, so excited, lasted a little bit, no roots. And when the sun came up, they were gone. That's 50% gone already. Then the next 25 came to church for at least a while because it took time for the thorns to grow up and the weeds to grow up and for the plant to grow. It took some time. And then the cares of the world, desires for other things, choked the word in that person's life. And when it choked the word in that person's life, they became unfruitful and they fell away from church. They left church. They turned their back on Jesus. Are you listening to me? They turned their back. Listen to me. 75% never made it to heaven and will not be in the rapture. Listen to me. 75, three out of four Christians who think they're going in the rapture will not go. They're unfruitful. They're not serving God. They're, they're going to succumb to persecution. They're going to quit and turn the back. And the Bible says, so if you read chapter 24 of Matthew, you'll see Jesus explains it very carefully. I don't have time to get into that right now. But it's on my heart because we're right at the door. We're right at that point. Of the good soil, of the good soil, there was 30%, 60%, and 100-fold percent. There were three different production levels in the good soil. So being a mathematician, I quickly worked this out. If 100 people hear the word, only 8% will be 100-fold producers. Eight out of 100 will be those people that you can count on in church, they will be there. They will be passionate. They will be tithers. They will be worshipers. They will be inviting people to church. They will be studying the Word of God. They will they'll be doing everything they can. Be servant-hearted people. Uh, praising God with all their heart. Worshipping and praying. Eight out of 100. Eight out of 100. Say this, I'm an eight percenter. Turn and tell somebody, I'm an eight percenter. Come on, say it again. I'm an eight percenter. You see, in this parable, there were people who gave their life to Jesus forever. But there were people who took it back. 
75% of the people took it back. I'm going to ask you this question. Are you a lifer or a loner? Are you in it for life? Or are you just going to loan your life to Jesus until it becomes too difficult? It's uncomfortable. It's inconvenient. I'm not going to go there. It's too cold in the church. It's too hot in the church. Church is too small. Church is too big. Church music is too loud. The guitarist is insanely good. <laughs> Brother Kevin, who have you just been touring with? Which is, what's that fantastic church? Earth, Wind, and Fire? Who is it? Um, we heard. Come on. Ike Turner. Who's he? Okay. Just kidding. Okay. So, so what am I saying? What am I saying is you can, comp- you can find a reason to complain. Suck it up. Eight percenters, suck it up. Eight percenters continue giving. Eight percenters continue forgiving. Eight percenters don't walk around with offenses. Eight percenters win the lost. Eight percenters worship God. Eight percenters are excited about serving God. Get up on your feet. Eight percenters, come on. Get up on your feet. Hallelujah. Say, I'm a lifer, not a loner. I'm a lifter, not a leaner. I'm a lover, not a lever. I'm a witness, not a wimp. I'm going to win, live for him. I'm an eight percenter. I'm going to do what's righteous rather than what I desire. One more time, I'm an eight percenter. You've got me, Jesus, forever. Come on. Hallelujah. Persecution is coming. So is the rapture. Things are going to get a lot worse. They are not going to get better. Nowhere does it get better before the rapture comes. It gets worse. If you can't stand now, you won't make it when things get worse. When they're burning down churches and they're telling you you can't go to church and you can't sing and you can't worship... You have to choose. Am I going to serve God and do what the Word of God says? Or am I going to do what the state says? And there's so many things we've already spoken about today that you can't agree with what they say. But they will force. They will force. It's coming. They will force. They will force the church. They're going to try and force the church. 